open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Ezekiel in chapter 20. I want you to uh, please give me uh, your attention as we go through the introduction because I want to give you the context for chapter 22. And chapter 22 is somewhat of a um, high point uh, in the book of Ezekiel. And uh, I believe context is so important uh, to understanding uh, truth and certainly uh, to applying uh, the truth that's in the scripture. Uh, certainly it's obvious in verse number 30 that one man can make a big difference. Now that's mighty, mighty encouraging. I'll say this again in the message that God said he would spare Sodom uh, for ten righteous men are ten righteous people, uh, but here we learn that he would save Jerusalem if he could just find one uh, righteous uh, man. And so we're going to look at tonight the difference of one man, uh, but I want to spend some time in the context, and I uh, have a goal not only for you to know the truth of the message, but to give you somewhat of an outline and somewhat of an understanding and I pray somewhat of an appetite for reading the book of Ezekiel and helping you uh, to understand it. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pause to pray not because I am required to, nor because it is a habit, but Lord, I hunger for the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Your word is the most amazing book. The more I study it, the more I realize how much more I need to learn. Lord, the more I learn, the more I enjoy what I know of you and your word. And I thank you, Lord, that even in the worst of times and in all the pages of the Bible, even in the weeping book of lamentation, there is hope in every single book in the Bible. And Lord, as a child of God, we must overcome defeat and discouragement and we must stay on the front lines of serving you, winning people to Christ, advancing the cause of Christ, desiring to live a life of holiness before you. Bless, I pray, as the message is preached. In Jesus' name, amen. First of all, I want you to look at verse number 26 where the Bible says, her priests, underline priest, if you will. Verse number 27 says, her princes, underline princes, if you will. Uh, verse number 28, the Bible says, and her prophets, underline uh, the word prophets, if you will. And verse number 29, the people, underline the people, if you will. So he is addressing uh, the priest, those uh, that would carry out uh, the uh, worship of God according to his uh, desire and dictates. Uh, the princes would be the people that represent the folks. Uh, these would be folks that would be like our state senators and representatives. Uh, according to the book of Romans, they are our ministers. Here they are mentioned in a very important role. And then there's the prophet. That's the one that speaks to the people from God. Uh, that's very important. And then the people, uh, that's you and I. So everyone is included uh, in this chapter. Now, if you look at the beginning, and I'm not going to have you to turn unless I tell you to during the message. If you look at the beginning of Ezekiel, Ezekiel was actually a priest, uh, Ezekiel 1 and verse number 3, but he never served in that office because he was taken captive away from uh, uh, Jerusalem and taken to Babylon. He was taken there during the reign of, reign of Jehoiachin. 
Now, there's two kings with a very similar name. One is Jehoiachin, and the other one is Jehoiakim. The difference is a K and a CH. Uh, so Jehoiachin was the king of Judah, and uh, he followed Jehoiakim. Uh, so CH came after the K uh, in uh, that uh, line of kings. It was during the 11-year reign of Jehoiakim uh, that the first uh, group of captives were taken uh, to Babylon. Now, Daniel was in that first group. You remember the story, the children of Israel, and we'll look at it as we go through the message. Uh, they had profaned the holy day, and God said, if you're not going to give me my day, and you haven't, I'll take them all at once. And so for 70 years, uh, they became captives in the land of Babylon. And how this started was that during the reign of Jehoiakim, uh, the first group of captives were taken away. Daniel was among that group. Jehoiachin then came to the throne and he reigned only three months. Then it was 597 B.C. The second group of captives were taken away and Ezekiel was a part of the second group of captives that were taken away. Now we understand that the, uh, the, the city was destroyed and the, uh, the uh, walls and the gates were burned and destroyed. The temple was destroyed. That hasn't happened yet. Uh, the first thing they did, they just rounded up a group of uh, educated, uh, smart uh, young men that they could train in the service uh, of uh, the Babylonians. Uh, by the way, I don't want to be a servant of the Babylonians. I want to be a servant of the Most High God. And, uh, but they were taken away, and uh, the first group included Daniel. The second group included Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a contemporary of both Jeremiah and Daniel. Now, they were in three different places, and I'm not sure uh, that they saw one another. They certainly did not work together. Uh, Jeremiah was an old man at the time of uh, this uh, uh, destruction, or at least the taking of the captives from Jerusalem to Babylon. Ezekiel was with the captives that had been brought down to the rivers of Babylon. Uh, they took these captives to different places. Daniel, of course, was taken uh, to the main part of the city. And uh, we learn about him in the book of Daniel. Ezekiel was taken to that group of, with that group of captives. And they were taken and there was a place down by the rivers of Babylon uh, where they were. Now, I want you to I remind you again to listen to the context and then you'll understand the message as we get to it. Ezekiel continued his ministry. He continued his ministry to speak to the people on God's behalf. Though it was not in Jerusalem, it was not in Judah, he continued his work with the captive people as they were taken by the rivers of Babylon. Psalm 137 is a psalm of the remnant of Babylon. And the Bible says this in Psalm 137, By the rivers of Babylon, uh, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. And so we find a group of people that are discouraged. And that's a bit understandable. But thank God Ezekiel never lost contact 
communication or service with God. And at the same time, the major or the majority of the people were discouraged that were taken captive. Ezekiel, the Bible says, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. What a contrast. May we have Christians today that have hope in a time of despair. May we have Christians today who have faith in a time of fear. And you're not going to have that unless we spend time in the Word of God, in the Lord's house, in Sunday school, hearing and understanding the Word of God. While some had already hanged their harps on the willows and they'd given up their song, Ezekiel was still meeting with God in the morning. By the way, Daniel was too. He was still opening his windows toward Jerusalem three times every day. It was no secret. They all knew Daniel was still in communication with God. Now Ezekiel was a young man at this time when he was taken captive. Jeremiah, an old man, uh, and Daniel younger, and Ezekiel a young man. The message of Ezekiel is the most spiritual of all the prophets because he dealt particularly with the person of God. You'll find these phrases in the book of Ezekiel. I am the Lord. God says, I am the Lord. God says, I am the Lord. And then he says, they shall know that I am the Lord. They shall know that I am the Lord. And there's a crowd tonight watching football games instead of going to the house of God. One of these days, God's going to get their attention. He's going to say, hey, I am the Lord. Now, someone has said that Ezekiel was a prophet of the Spirit. It would be similar to the book of Acts in the New Testament. Uh, some have said Isaiah is a prophet of the Son, equal to the Gospel of John in the New Testament, and Jeremiah, the prophet of the Father, equal to the Gospel of Luke. But Ezekiel, Isaiah, and Jeremiah are serving during the same time. Now, during the first years of the captivity, there were false prophets. There are false prophets today. There are. And there were false prophets, and here's what they were saying. They're saying, we'll soon, we'll soon return to Jerusalem, and I can hear it as it's said in America today. Don't worry, we'll come back bigger and better than ever. And that's what the prophets were saying. They were saying, don't listen to Ezekiel. He's old-fashioned. He thinks it's going to be destroyed. God's not going to destroy Jerusalem. He's not going to allow Judah to be destroyed. Hey, folks, don't, don't, don't be discouraged or depressed. We're going back and we're going to build it bigger and better than ever. That was not true. It was not true. They did. They never returned. The city was not destroyed at that time. It was not until 586 B.C. when Nebuchadnezzar came against the city the third time that he burned and destroyed Jerusalem. So for a period of about 10 years, these false prophets were saying the people would return and the city would not be destroyed. Jeremiah had sent a message to Babylon saying the city will be destroyed. And Ezekiel confirmed the message of Jeremiah. He warned the people that they must, don't miss it, turn to God before they could return to Jerusalem. That was a message. He said, you're anxious to return to God. I'm, I'm sorry, you're anxious to return to Jerusalem. I'll tell you how you get there. You return to God first. And there are many Christians in America more concerned about America as a nation than they are America and having revival. 
And America will never return to what it was unless it returns to faith and obedience to God. When that time came, a small remnant did return to God and that group returned somewhat discouraged and that's another message. Now, Ezekiel began his ministry five years after he was taken captive at about the age of 30. In many ways, he spoke in the darkest days of the nation. He stood at the bottom of a valley in the darkest corner. He had to preach against those false prophets that said, everything's going to be all right and we'll return. And he also faced the indifference of the people because of their sin. The book of Ezekiel is divided into two major divisions or other minor divisions. But the two major divisions are this. For 22 chapters, uh, Ezekiel says judgment's coming. We're going to pay for our sin. And then he said in the last half of the book that restoration is coming. It appears that America is not going to respond to God by the prosperity. It appears that, uh, that the people of God are not going to say, God's been so good to us, how could we forsake his assembly? God's been so good to us, how could we forsake his service? God's been so good to us, how could we turn our back on him? But it seldom ever happens, and it usually takes difficulty and even destruction before God's people are awake. Now when we come to chapter 22, Ezekiel lists the abominations of the people. You'll find these interesting because you hear the same thing in our day. First of all, the false prophets, as I've said, they were saying everything's all right and we're getting along just fine. Look at verse number 26 again. Her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. Notice this. They have put no difference between the holy and the profane. I wonder where that would be today. No difference in the holy and the profane. We live in a day where few things are sacred. We live where, uh, in a day where few things are holy. Uh, there was a day that marriage was of the highest uh, uh, level of respect and honor and we respected that. We respected marriage. We respected the house of God. We respected the day on Sunday. Uh, but the sins and abominations of the people in the days of Ezekiel when he said Judah's going to be destroyed are the same sins that we face in America today. Her priest had blatantly violated the law. Her princes were like wolves ravening the prey. Why was Jerusalem called a bloody city? Why? Because the prophets, the priests, and the princes had not stood for holiness. They kept saying everything's all right. They, they, they never preached against sin. They never called any sin by name. And so Ezekiel comes and he says, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore have I poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord. Very important for us to understand, God did not want to destroy Judah. He said, I don't want to bring judgment. God does not want to bring judgment on America, and that's quite obvious, I think. 
I think our due date of, of judgment is past. I believe, I believe we've been in the days of grace and mercy for a long time now. And we understand, but God is not, he, he does not delight in the judgment of men. I'll tell you what he delights in. He delights in the righteousness and the holiness of men. He said, give me a man who will stand. Give me a man who will stop this. Give me a man that will stand in the gap. Give me a man that will stop the wickedness that's going on. Now, if I outlined Ezekiel 22, here's how I would outline it. Verses 1 through 12, we find a defiled people. A defiled people. You can write that down in the margin of your Bibles if you'd like. A defiled people. Verses 1 through 22. The words blood or bloody are repeated seven times in this paragraph and they speak of death and defilement. The prophet names the grievous sins and the first one that he names is the shedding of innocent blood. Sad today that multiplied millions of babies continue to be murdered. The name of medicine in the name of a health and we've heard it so many times and we've heard preaching against it so many times that it doesn't bother us anymore but to think that they would take a child in its mother's womb and take an instrument to take that baby's life is no different than taking a child of five years old or ten years old and murdering them in the same fashion it is the shedding of innocent blood Folks, that gets God's attention. Now, why do you preach this tonight, preacher? We need to see our condition. We need to see where we are because we need to see the importance of righteousness and holiness. And we need to pray for men who will stand in this evil day. These people are a defiled people. The officials in Jerusalem, if you read these 12 verses, the officials in Jerusalem were accepting bribes. And they were condemning innocent people to death so others could claim their property and their belongings. And the judges had no respect for God or man that's made in the image of God. How sad it is today to see judges oftentimes forget the precedence of America. Have you ever wondered why? wonder why uh, this gambling has been illegal for all these uh, many years. wonder why it's not legal. wonder why it's always been illegal. wonder why uh, when uh, they wrote the Constitution of Kentucky, I wonder why they said uh, that uh, gambling is illegal and the only way to make it legal is to have a constitutional amendment or to amend the Constitution by the will of the people. That question's valid tonight. Why is it? Why is it that it's been illegal all these years? And so we see a people that are defiled in verses 1 through 12. Second, we see not only the shedding of innocent blood, 
We see idolatry or things that come between man and God. We see injustice and the abuse of power that are rampant in our world today and God in his mercy is holding back his hand of judgment to give sinners an opportunity to, be, uh, to repent and to be saved but understand as the Bible says in 2 Peter 3 and verse number 10 the day of the Lord will come. Make it known tonight. Uh, make it known tonight that judgment is coming on the sins of this world. Judgment is coming on the sins of this world. Second of all, there are doomed people. Verses 13 to 22. Verses 13 to 22, this is interesting because God strikes his hand in an angry response to the sins of the people. Hold your place there in Ezekiel 22 and turn back to chapter 6. Ezekiel chapter 6. Ezekiel chapter 6, notice if you will in verse number 11. Ezekiel 6, 11, thus saith the Lord God, smite with thine hand and stamp with thy foot and say, alas for all the evil abominations of the house of Israel for they shall fall by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. You know what the Bible's saying? He said, smite with a hand. Hey, give me your attention. Stomp with your foot. Get their attention. Let them know I'm serious about this matter. Boy, I remember as a boy hearing my dad's finger crack. Boy, I thought the thunder of heaven and the thunder of God had, had turned loose. And I want to tell you, I was arrested in a stiff position when his finger snapped. He called my name. You know what's sad today? Folks are not paying any attention to the voice of God. And that's why the Bible describes them as a doomed people. Notice chapter 21 of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 21. You'll find that God's angry at sin. God's angry at sin. I was talking to a representative, and I've talked to a bunch of them. I've talked to a bunch of representatives and senators. I talked to one representative that said... Folks have to make their own decision. You have to let folks decide if they're going to do right and wrong. You can't just make a law against everything. Hey, there's already a law against it. Amen. And they said you can't make a law against everything. You have to let people decide. That's the way it was in the days of Noah. And so I said, why did you run then as a pro-life candidate saying you would pass laws against abortion? Why don't we just let people decide between right and wrong? Is there a difference in our bribes, the difference? I don't know. But that's what was going on in Ezekiel's day. And they were a doomed people. Notice chapter 21, verse number 14. What the Bible says, Thou therefore, son of man, prophesy and smite thy hands together and let the sword be doubled the third time. The sword of the slain, it is the sword of the great men that are slain which entereth into their privy chambers. Look at verse 17. I will also smite with mine hands together. I will cause my fury to rest I, the Lord, have said it. Notice there are doomed people. 
you'll find they're doomed. And the first part of the judgment would be the captivity, chapter 22, verses 13 through 16. And then you'll find the second judgment would be that of fire, verses 17 through 22. That's when their beloved city and temple uh, would be destroyed and be burned. Uh, the prophet pictured a smelting furnace uh, with different kinds of metals in it and the dross being removed, uh, the dross representing the people of Jerusalem who thought they were the best because they hadn't gone into exile and yet they were destroyed. They were a doomed people because of their sin and iniquity against God. Verses 23 through 27, they're a debased people. Ezekiel pointed the finger of accusation at the princes, at the priest, the prophets, and the people. Every segment of society is found guilty. Now look at me. We've got a bunch of folk in Washington that are promoting pure evil and filth. This crowd that calls themselves the squad. They're anti-American. It's worse than that. They're anti-God. This crowd that that, that is, is proud of a child's opinion rather than truth has no sense. Because you stand up for what you believe does not make you a hero. If you believe wrong, you're not a hero, you're a promoter of wrong. Sad day when a nation's leader recognizes a child who calls themselves a transgender and tells them they're proud of them because they're willing to stand for who they are. Friend, I got news for you. God says, God says he'll bless those that are righteous. He says he'll bless those that are right, that do right. God bless the young man that lives according to the principle of the word of God. God bless the young lady that lives according to the principle of the word of God. God bless the young couple that gets married and they get married before they have children. God bless those that will obey the truth. God bless those that, are, that will herald the truth of the scripture. We're living in a day where if you do right, you're scorned and you're, and you're mocked and that's what happened in the day of Ezekiel but Ezekiel said I got news for you judgment's coming Amen. judgment is coming they were a debased people he told them the princes were acting like animals lions and wolves hungry for their prey can I tell you something sin always debases people go to Psalm 32 Psalm 32 The psalmist is telling folks in this day, look at verse number 8, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with a bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord 
mercy shall compass or circle him about. These men in Ezekiel 22 verses 23 through 27, they abused their power. They destroyed the innocent just to acquire more wealth. They manufactured poor widows by murdering innocent men and stealing their wealth. You would think that the priests would uphold the law and protest the evil deeds of the rulers, but instead they broke the law of God. The people of the land, land-owning citizens, they fell right in line with the princes and the priests that were taking bribes preying on the poor to give to the rich. Basically, the people would not stand for right. Christians are too quiet when it comes to taking a stand for right. But we sure are good at whining and crying when things are rough. We wait until after the fact Woe is me. Oh, I hate it's like this. I'll tell you why it's like this. Because the people won't stand. We need to contact the princess and say it's not right for you to oppress the poor. Everything they gain by their violence and abuse of power, they would lose when the day of judgment arrived. It's interesting as you go on through the chapter, verses 28 and 29, They are a deceitful people. Look at verse 28. And her prophets have daubed them with untempered mortar, seeing vanity. You know what that means? It's mortar that won't stand. It doesn't have anything that makes it hard. It is a a lie. It is a deception. Saying, thus saith the Lord, when the Lord hath not spoken. The people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery and have vexed the poor and needy. Yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. Instead of exposing sin, they whitewash sin. They announced that God would never allow his holy city and temple to be trampled by the heathen. But that's exactly what God did and Ezekiel told him so. If we lose our nation, we'll not be able to point our finger at others We'll have to say we didn't stand when we could have stood. They were a disappointing people, last of all, in verses 30 and 31. God searched among his people for one person in authority who would stand in the gap. So the enemy would not penetrate the wall and invade the city. And this day he sadly said, I found none. Let me say tonight, I thank God for those that are in places of authority who will and are standing. And you ought to encourage them. There's a good bunch of them that are standing. There's a good bunch of senators. There's a good bunch of representatives. They've already made their stand. They're going to do right. We ought to thank God for them. We ought to thank God for the preacher, the man of God, that will stand and say what thus saith the Lord. We the people, we ought to stand with them for what's right. He didn't say I'm looking for an army. He said I'm looking for a man. 
He didn't say, I'm looking for a regiment. He said, I'm looking just for a man. Give me somebody that will stand. I'm praying specifically just for this single individual battle. I'm praying for men who will stand in Frankfurt, take a stand. And I've talked to some, they plan to stand. And I'm praying for them. I'm praying for them that God will give them wisdom and give them words and help them to stand. I, uh, I, I tell each one of them, I'm not calling for me. I have no plans or business going into a casino. But I tell you who I'm calling for. I'm calling for that little innocent child whose daddy or mama will stumble and make their way in there and spend the child's grocery money and spend the child's clothes money and spend the child's money that pays for the electricity and pays for the place to live. I'm calling on their behalf. That's who I'm calling for. He wasn't looking for a crowd. Just looking for a man. It's interesting to me that the Lord promised to spare Sodom and Gomorrah if he could find ten righteous in Genesis chapter 18. He would have spared Judah for one righteous man. By the way, the Lord is still seeking men and women who will stand for the moral law of God and stand in the gap and stand for right. Kevin Wynn has been a man that's made a difference in Mexico City. They're not allowed to meet in their buildings. Perhaps the largest Baptist church in the world. Perhaps the largest church in the world. They're meeting anywhere and everywhere they can. Under bridges. Open ball fields. Folks are trusting Christ as Savior in Mexico City by the thousands following the Lord and believers baptism in open and public baptistries why because he wants to stand in the gap and make a difference thank God for men across America and across the world that are still standing I say tonight we don't give up hope we're looking for men who will stand I prayed for our preachers today across the country. I've heard from so many of them as I do every week. I pray for them. I pray for the Jason Porters and the Brad Broadduses and the Jared Youngs and on and on and James Baxters and just many of them. God said, I'm looking for a man among them. He won't be liked. He won't be loved, but I'll save the nation for him if he'll stand.